Father, we, we ask that you would give power to those men, women, and children who live as your body, as the representatives of Jesus Christ along uh, Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach, uh, Satellite Beach, there along that strip with uh, Patrick Air Force Base. God, would you anoint them with power? Give them opportunity this week to show the love of Jesus and to share the gospel through demonstration and declaration as they go throughout their day. Father, I ask that you'd make them aware of their mission of making disciples where they live, work, and play. And Lord, I ask that we would get to celebrate on this Thanksgiving week that we'd get to celebrate people being born again through the witness and the words of these men, women, and children. God, we we also pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that these are not the only Christ followers living in those communities. Would you empower your church, your people, to live on your mission for your glory and the good of those who are far from you but near to us? Lord, during our time of teaching, I pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd have to say through your word. And Father, we give you the glory and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for uh, standing up and letting us know uh, that you're going to live on mission this week. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I uh, heard a story this week about a guy who joined a, a monastery because he wanted to become a monk. In addition to the, uh, the vows of chastity and, and poverty and obedience that he had to take, he also took a vow of silence. So he wasn't allowed to say anything at any given point of time, except once a year, he'd get called before the abbot who ran the ma- monastery, and he was allowed to say two words in that meeting with the abbot. So the first year went by, he got called to the the abbot, the abbot uh, said, do you have anything that you'd like to say, son? And he said these two words, bed hard. And then he went on throughout his day uh, and devotion. Uh, the, the following year went by, he got called again to the abbot. And of course, the abbot said, do you have anything you'd like to say, son? And uh, the man replied, food, bad. Uh, and then he returned to the, the next full year of his labor. At the end of that third year, he came again to the abbot. Uh, the abbot asked, do you have anything you'd like to say? son, and, and to that the, the man responded, I quit. Uh, to which the abbot said, that doesn't surprise me at all, you have not done anything but complain since you got here. So some of you, all right, hold on, I heard some, was that a boo that I heard? Do not complain about a joke about complaining. Let me write that down. Do not use... Do not use this joke again. Here's the deal. You may not be the kind of person who does nothing but complain. I never have really considered myself to be a big complainer, but I've got to tell you that the passage of scripture that we're studying this morning, uh, it has been beating me up all week long. I've noticed how my heart is prone to complain. Uh, And this morning, maybe you you noticed the sign coming in or through the week. um, uh, Maybe somebody dragged you in suspiciously to the service this morning, um, you're going to want to listen to this. Complaining isn't Christian. And I've got the passage of scripture to back it up. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We're not really going to have to take a whole lot of time in explanation. It's really straightforward for us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, continuing our study of this book. Verse 14 says, do all things, how many things? Hold on, I missed that. All things, you guys can look that up on your own. It means do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be poured, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God for us this morning. And, and I hope, I pray, I trust that the Spirit is gonna prepare your heart for Thanksgiving week and the observation of the Lord's Supper through this text. It's really straightforward. You guys can see it really clearly. The command in this passage of Scripture is right there in verse 14. Do all things without murmuring or grumbling or complaining, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some translations use phrases like do all things without, without arguing or complaining or murmuring or complaining. That first word grumble or murmur, it's a word that literally means um, a low utterance, kind of that under the breath tone of voice. In one of the uh, Greek dictionaries that I have, it says that this is a word that means behind the scenes talk. You guys know what kind of talk that is? That low murmur? When, when you, you put something on the radio and you hear that grumbling from the back seat, your kids didn't want to hear it. It's that low murmur. It's that behind the scenes, under the breath talk that employees use after they've just left a meeting and they don't want to have their boss hear what they've said. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I hate it when they make us do this. I hate it when we have to go here. I hate it when they play that song. I hate it. Don't they know how hot it is in here? Don't they know how cold it is in here? They know, not in here, nobody would do that at church. I'm just saying, that's murmuring, that's grumbling, that's complaining. The other word is disputing, arguing. It's actually the word that we get um, our word dialogue from. It's that, that, that dialogue, the exchange of words that takes place when your ideas or your way of doing things conflict with someone or something around you. You guys, you guys ever experienced that? Your way of doing things, your preferred method, what you would like to see isn't what's happening or isn't what's being said. That's what's happening here. Disputing, arguing, dialogue that happens. Here's the deal with that. That can happen with other people. Some of you guys are on the receiving end of that, right? This morning, maybe, when you're coming in or when you're getting ready, that dialogue of, man, I, this is not the way I would do this at all. You guys have had that? You guys realize you can also have that with yourself? This dialogue sometimes internal. Anybody ever had an argument with somebody that wasn't there? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to admit that? I do that all the time. Have you ever told your boss what you really think about him in the privacy of your car on the way home? You ever done that one? (laughs) Have you ever gone to your room so you could be alone and let your parents have it? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Have you ever ripped your pastor to shreds when he wasn't anywhere around? Anyone? Anyone? That was a test. That was a test. Some of you failed. I want to see you after church. Here's the deal. This is one of those areas where I struggle, to be honest. This is something that God really began to show me in my, my own heart this week. I'll allow things to boil under the surface until I can't take it. I've just got to get it off my chest even if no one's around. I'll spend an entire day working in my yard, mowing my grass, winning an argument with someone who isn't even there. (laughs) Practicing what I would say if I could really give them a piece of my mind. And listen, here's the deal. There's a place that I understand for us that's right to confront things that aren't right 
to tell people how we really feel, to tell people even when we strongly disagree. Here's the deal. The Bible said Jesus confronted religious leaders and he told them what he really thought and what he really saw. Paul confronted Peter. Uh, There's confrontation. There's a healthy acknowledgement of things that are going wrong in our life, hardships that we encounter. That's biblical. Until it becomes one of those dynamics, one of those forms of complaining or arguing that's more about getting your point across than loving God and one another for the sake of redemption. You see that? But it's more about, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm going to get this off my chest. I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you and then get out of here. That's not loving God and one another for the sake of redemption. That's arguing and complaining. And that was what was so convicting about this week for me when I missed the stoplight when I missed the parking spot, when I chose the wrong lane at the grocery, when Emily told me to go down to aisle two, I didn't do it. You guys ever feel that way? Is, are we the only marriage where the guy always chooses the wrong lane at the grocery? Okay, tell me how to do that because I always get the wrong one. When you pay too much for gas, when your office light's too bright, it's giving me a headache when it's not well enough lit. I can't read in here. You guys ever had that welling up within me? And here's the deal. I know we all could go on and on and on about the ways we're tempted to complain, the ways we're tempted to argue, the ways we're tempted to just get it off our chest or say it out loud or, or tell someone what we really think. However that takes shape in your life, here's what verse 14 has said really clearly. Do all things without grumbling. Amen. All of it. Do all things without disputing, all of it. And notice why that's so important in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you, listen to this, you shine as lights in the world. A little phrase right there tells us why this is so important, why this is critical, that when we live a complaint-free life, do you know what God does with us? When we live a complaint-free life, God causes us to shine like lights in the middle of a dark world. Do you know that no one complains when everything's going their way? When, when everything is smooth sailing, when life is easy, nobody's complaining, but there's something to be said about the person whose life is hard, whose comforts are no longer comfortable, or their, their, their opinions or views are challenged, and they still have joy and a smile on their face. There's something to be said about that kind of person. Just stop and think about what it says about Jesus when his followers go around murmuring and complaining. Well, what's that say about Jesus? It says, that, it says that he's not enough to satisfy us, right? It says he's, he's not enough to help us stay content. He's not enough to meet our deepest needs. When you tell somebody, hey, Jesus offers you eternal life. He offers you heaven for your forever home. He offers us the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. All things the Bible says he offers us. And then we turn around and complain about the temperature in the room or about how long the wait is at the restaurant. We actually have money to spend to pay for that food. What's that say about Jesus? Makes it seem like the joy that Jesus offers isn't strong enough to defeat the inconvenience or even pain of life on this earth. That's what it makes it seem like. And it destroys the testimony of Christ's power and ability to provide us with joy and peace. Maybe I could say it this way. You shouldn't buy a magic hair formula from a bald man. (laughs) Got that? 
right? Some of you did not know anything I was talking about until that moment, right? You don't do that because it's an expression of whether or not it's true or works or is real. So what makes us think that this culture or our world would want a gospel that's no longer good enough news to bring you joy? We don't shine like lights. A complaining life has little influence positively on the world around them. But there's something else here. It's not just our influence or our testimony. Paul doesn't just show you, hey, here's why you shouldn't complain. He says, here, let me show you how to keep from complaining. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, the first phrase there is holding fast to the word of life. That goes back to this do all things without grumbling or arguing or complaining. And and this is the next sort of uh, modifier showing us how to do that by, by holding fast to the word of life. Guys, the word of life is the good news about Jesus that's found for us in the Bible, which is the word of God. There's good news for us that comes through Jesus that's just waiting for us in the Bible, in the word of God. And that phrase says, hold fast to that. It says, hold fast. You want to know how you keep from complaining and grumbling? By holding on tight to the promises of God that are true for you in Jesus Christ. Have you, guys ever, have you guys ever gone water skiing? Have you ever been water skiing? We've got friends that let us borrow their boat, and we've got, to, Emily and I have taught our kids how to go water skiing and wakeboarding, all that good stuff. And here's the deal. There's a lot of trickiness that you can have in wakeboarding and water skiing, but there's one thing that you want to, you want to drill into your children's heart and mind. Hang on to the rope, Right? You're going to just sink in that water. The, every time the boat takes off and you let go, you're, just, you're not going anywhere. You're just going to sink. You've got to hold on to the rope. The power of the boat will pull you out of the water if you're willing to hang on to the rope. Okay, so that holding fast is that dynamic. The power of God will pull you out of a joy-free life, but, but you have to hold on to the rope. You hold fast to the word of life. Hold on to the promises of God. And here's what's happening in many of our lives. We're confronted with something. We're we're confronted with hardship or inconvenience or difficulty. And in that moment, we're tempted to complain because we're being tempted to lose our grip on the promises of God. We're losing hold of what God has promised to give us through Jesus. For instance, has God promised to supply all of our needs in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Has he promised to be our defender, our refuge, our shelter in times of trouble? Has he promised to work every single thing? Has God promised to work every single thing in your life out for your good and his glory? Has he promised that? Even stoplights that you missed? even the pain that you're encountering in your life right now? Has he promised that? When you're tempted to complain, see what's happening. You're being tempted to let go of the rope of God's promise. You're letting go of the power of God that pulls you out of a joylessness in your life. And look at the example that Paul gives us here. I think this is a really cool thing. Verse 17 He says, here's how far this goes. Verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Do you hear that? Here's what he's saying. Even if I, he's in jail right now, he's facing capital punishment. He says, even if I'm to be poured out, that's a way of saying, even if I'm to get get killed for this, 
Even if I'm going to get killed upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, of you being blessed by my witness, which led to my imprisonment and my death. He says, even if that's what happens, I get killed in this situation. Look at that last phrase. I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. You realize what he's saying there? I believe what God has promised me. That's bigger than pain and stronger than death. Do you guys realize what what God has promised Paul? That the moment he took his last breath on this side of eternity, he would take his next breath in the presence of Almighty God and the fullness of joy. That, That eternity, eternity, eternity. And I'm not talking about the the wait at the stoplight turning left on Courtney. That thing's forever. I'm not talking about that's just close to eternity. I'm talking about eternity is filled with the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore that this world can't compare. That's the next step for the Christian after death. Paul actually believed that. And he said, and God's using it for your good and my good and his glory. He actually believes that and says, so I'm good. I'm good, I'm glad, I'm rejoicing because my kingdom work isn't in vain because God is doing everything that he's promised to do and then he invites them into verse 18. He says, I'm glad because I believe the word of life which causes me no longer to complain and makes me glad and rejoice. Verse 18, likewise you also be glad and rejoice in me. And here church, this is the perfect transition to the Lord's Supper and our week of thanksgiving. Here's the command for all of us. Here's the call for all of us. Hey, church, be glad and rejoice today. Be glad and rejoice today. Be glad and rejoice today. How? By holding fast to the promises of God that come to us in the word of life. I want to give you a challenge, and then I want to give you an encouragement. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper together. Here's the challenge. Um, Some of you say, how how does this look in my life? Holding fast to the word of life. Some of us don't know the promises in the word of life because we're not in it. We don't read. This is why we want you to read your Bible every day for yourself, not so you guys can become a bunch of legalists who say, I read my Bible, but so you can be exposed to the promises of God that pull you out by the power of God, of, pull you out of joylessness into gladness, be in the word of God. You know, it takes the average person three minutes, 45 seconds to read the average chapter of the Bible. Less than four minutes, the average person can read the average chapter of the Bible. The issue for us is not time. I mean, if you got on your phone and you looked at how much time you spent on your phone each day, anybody in the room willing to venture that most of us are on there more than three minutes, 45 seconds? Some of you have been on your phone for longer than three minutes, 45 seconds while I've been preaching. I see you. Oh, I'm just, hey, I wasn't complaining. Wow, here's the story. You're using your Bible app. I get it. Here, will you be in the Bible this week, not as a set of legalism rules, but as the, as the offer of God extended to throw you a lifeline of hope and joy and gladness into your day? And will you, will you read the Bible 
and then look for promises from God. Some of you say, where should I start in that? I think the book of Ephesians is a great place to start because it, it, verse one, chapter one, just starts with all kinds of promises that are true for us because of Jesus. Some of you just go through this week, there's six chapters in that book, one chapter every single day. That'll get you through Saturday. I'll give you another assignment next week. You guys will get through the book of Ephesians. What, what promises are there? Will you read the Bible every day and look for promises? And then here's the next step. Look for that promise through your day, Remember the promise. God God promised me an eternal inheritance guaranteed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's mine. He's given me everything that belongs to him. And the riches of glory in Christ. I've got an inheritance that can't be taken away. I've been adopted as his son. That's all Ephesians chapter one. Will Will you read the Bible? Will you remember the promise? And here's the thing. Will you rejoice? You've got something to be glad and rejoice about and it's everything that's true for you in Jesus. So there's the challenge. Read the Bible, remember the promise, rejoice and be glad. That's your assignment. Do you guys choose to accept that assignment? This message will not self-destruct. But you guys, here's the the encouragement. I want us to look at something. Go to to Philippians chapter two. There's something that should, should encourage you right here in Philippians chapter two. He says in, in, in verse 15 that you may be blameless and innocent and look at this next phrase, children of God. You want, you want something that should encourage you? When you trust in Jesus Christ, God takes your sin and he has placed it on Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin, the brokenness of your life, the rebellion of your life, and he, he put it on Jesus, and he poured out his punishment on Jesus. And the thing that separates you from God and the fullness of joy is your sin, is your own sin. But when you trust in Jesus, God takes our sin, places it on Jesus, punishes it, and removes it. That's called being forgiven. It's called being justified. It's called being set aside as holy and blameless in the sight of God because of Jesus. Your sin are removed from you as far as the east is from the west when you trust in Jesus Christ. All of the guilt that the enemy would heap on you about the things you've done, the places you've been, the things you've said, the thoughts you've had, that is not yours anymore when you're trusting in Jesus. It's been placed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know what that old song says? My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more because of Jesus. You hear that? He takes your sin, the thing that separates you from God, and he puts it on Jesus, and he punishes it. No more guilt. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But not only does he take your sin and put it on Jesus, and the thing that was separating you from God is now out of the way, he takes your life and unites it to Jesus in a way that you become a child of Almighty God. A child of Almighty God. That's what just said. You guys shine as lights because you are the children of the most high God. It comes with power and authority of your father who's the creator of heaven and earth who's leveraging all of his might, all of his strength to glorify his name through you and to bring about your eternal good as your father. He welcomes you into his presence you guys ever feel that thing of, man, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to pray because I don't know if I belong before God. I feel guilty. I feel small. I haven't been there all week. I don't, listen to me. In Jesus Christ, 
kick that away. We have a great high priest who took our sin into the holy place when he died on the cross. That's what, that's what Hebrews tells us, so that we could come with confidence and boldness before the very throne of God as his children. We don't just come into the presence of the king as his subjects and servants. We come into the presence of our father as his sons and daughters. Is that good news? That's true for you. God is your father if you're trusting in Christ. Your sins are all forgiven. Your eternal destiny is sealed. And God as a good, good father is leveraging his power and authority to bring about what will bless you the most and make you like Jesus and glorify his name. Is that good news? So be be glad and rejoice today. You're a child of the most high God. You're the child of the most high God. And this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because we're going to acknowledge that Jesus, when he died on the cross, suffered for our sin, took the pain and punishment that should have been ours. And God punished our sin in Jesus so that if you'll trust Christ, acknowledge that you're sinful and broken and you've, you've rebelled against God and acknowledge that Jesus is the payment for your sin and call on him to save you. The Bible says when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're saved from the power and penalty of your sin and you're united to the, to the, to the life of Jesus Christ as his son or daughter. We're gonna celebrate that. It's what this bread represents, the body of Christ broken for you. It's what this this juice represents, the blood of Christ spilled out for your forgiveness and redemption. And here's how we're gonna take this together. We're gonna come and we really, we want everybody to be able to come with someone. So I wanna encourage you to invite somebody to go to a table with you. We've got tables all throughout this sanctuary. I'm gonna ask our deacons to go ahead and be dismissed. There are tables in the back of the balcony. There are tables obviously up here up front. if, if you're alone, feel free to invite someone with you. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, that means you're our brother and sister. You can invite someone to go with you. If you see somebody that's alone, you can invite them to go with you. And here's how I wanna encourage you to do this. Maybe you do it as families, as friends, as people who sit on the same pew every single week. Um, would you go to that table and would you share a promise from, from God that he's given you through his word Will you share that with one another and give thanks that it's true for you and Jesus as you take this bread, you take this cup? You guys get what I'm asking you to do? Go together, celebrate Jesus because the promises are true in our life because of Jesus. Share those promises. This is something God's given me that encourages me from the Bible and give thanks. This is a table of thanksgiving and let it launch you into a week of glad joy as you give thanks for Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here and you're not able to, to, to get up and come forward, we've got deacons who are gonna be coming down the aisles. Um, but here's, here's my hope. I'm hoping that none of those deacons actually have to give somebody uh, the elements, the, the bread and the juice. If you see somebody around you who's not able to come forward, would you ask them if you can get those for them? and bring them back and share communion with each other as a family around the table of God. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray, and then you're gonna be released to observe the Lord's Supper and celebrate Jesus together as a family. Father, I wanna thank you for Christ, 
the, the, the word of life is that we have life because of Jesus, that the promises of God are yes for us in him. And Lord, I would ask that you would stir our hearts to remember the promises that are true for us in Jesus and to celebrate Christ together with one another. Father, I pray for every man and woman in this place, every child in this place, that as they come to the table, they would be reflecting over the, the power of Christ's, his life, his death, and his resurrection to give them forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption and eternal life through his life. God, may we celebrate you today and have glad and joyful hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.